With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Puppies and kitties. Books and movies. Yes, we love these. Listen to this podcast, please. Hello? <laughs> Hello? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know why. I just felt the need to do that. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Consider it um, a performance, if you will. Oh, yes. Isn't this all a performance? And what is a performance? Like, how do you define if something is a performance or if it's just being, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to Book Squad Goals, a podcast where we talk about the complexities of the self. Mm-hmm. Today we are discussing the book Biography of X by Catherine Lacey. Um, we will also later in the episode have an interview with the author Emily Austin, whose book Interesting Facts About Space, which is about to come out on January 30th, get ready, or if you have book of the month, you already have it. So yeah, I'm reading it right now. Yes, um, so. the interview is me and Emily Austin. And fun fact, I designed the book cover, so the interview also features a little bit of Emily asking me questions about That's that. Which is the first so cool. time we've ever done that, um, and I was not planning on that, but she was like, "Well, I have some questions for you." <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, Very, like, interview magazine style. Yeah. It was really fun. She's great. I am a huge, huge fan of her work, um, and I don't say that about everything that I design. Trust me. Some stuff Uh, you just quietly don't mention. Exactly. Uh, Her work is amazing, and talking to her about it was really fun. So that will be later. But first, we're going to talk about this book. Um. And my intro question is, do you have a favorite biography? If not, what's one you want to read or who's a person you wish there was a biography of? I don't know if it counts, but I feel like Shrill by Lindy West has a lot of autobiographical information. That doesn't, doesn't count. count. It doesn't count? No, that's a, that's no. a memoir. It's a memoir in essays. Oh, a biography. So it's by somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... I. Yeah, not know. auto, because then it's too, you know. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, this is not a genre I love. 
<laughs> I like memoir. Yeah. This is on my to-read list. This is Emily. Uh, the name of the biography is Didn't We Almost Have It All in Defense of Whitney Houston? And uh, it's got a foreword by Brandy, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it just kind of sounds interesting because it, I don't know, like it's it is more specifically, I think, looking at like her struggles with addiction and how that um, informed her career and the way people think about her. Um, I can't say for sure because I haven't read it yet, but that is a biography I am interested in reading. And I think that's the thing about biographies that normally make them like not appealing to me is they're like too broad. Like the whole thing about a biography is it's like, here's this whole person's life. Right. Yeah. But I think, So I think the reason that this appealed to me is like it clearly it's like a biography with a thesis. It says it right there in the title. Right. Um, I will say like one biography that I did read for fun. I read the Marie Antoinette biography that the movie Marie Antoinette is based on because I love that movie. Um, And I was curious to read the book and it, it was a good book. But again, it was very much like this is everything that happened to Marie Antoinette from like birth to death and that's a lot you know so it is you're about to be disappointed with my answer um because i don't have a favorite biography i have dnf'd a handful um i get (laughs) really bored um i've tried and tried to like them my my grandmother who is the probably the most avid reader i know which is saying something like almost exclusively reads biographies and she's always telling me about them and what she's reading and she retains these facts about everyone. So I kind of feel like when I talk to her, I'm reading a biography. You're getting it. Because she will just like drop a fact about like Jacqueline Kennedy that I'm like, what? (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) Uh, She like waits for new ones to come out, gets them at the library. It's her thing. I have tried to be like this. Uh, The only one I've enjoyed part of but still never finished was – one called Six Wives, which is about all six of Henry VIII's wives. And you know how much I love them. And even that made me bored. So, is that yeah. the basis of the musical Six? <laughs> I mean. I have no idea. Probably not because that sounds entertaining and this book wasn't. Six is like <laughs> Henry VIII's wives if they were British pop stars. Yeah. Um, sounds incredible. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. This book I mean, was... they just are Henry VIII's wives, but in the style of British pop stars. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Th- it was like, it was interesting, but I only got through like Catherine and Anne Boleyn, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. And then I was like, okay, I need a break. Well, and then I took Anne a 20 year break. One. I got one. Okay. No, I don't. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. I, know. I read like, like I can't 50 even pages <laughs> of the Hamilton biography one time and I hated it. Yeah, I so this was kind of a question for me to ask to then be like, I've never read a biography before. Not not a one. I've read many memoirs Mm -hmm. uh, and I do like memoirs, but I've never read a full biography. I think I've read like bits and pieces of some for research, like in college for papers Mm -hmm. I wrote and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But. Otherwise, no. And I'm trying to think. I think like I it does 
The idea of reading a biography of an artist does interest me more than reading like about a historical figure, but that's also because I'm like, I'm just not a big nonfiction reader in general, and um, yeah. it's hard for me to. So, like, the first thing that that I thought about, uh, I thought of Miss Piggy. <laughs> um, well, now Kelly I would like to read a biography of Miss Piggy, um, but then I realized that that is not really a good answer because she's not real. <laughs> Um, as much what? as I. <laughs> Do you want Wait, a real, Jim Henson though. biography? Yeah. Well, that's what I, and he does have a biography. I Googled yeah. Jim Henson biography and there is one. And I'm like, well, maybe I could read that. It's called Jim Henson. Wasn't he like pretty weird? I mean, <laughs> as weird as a man who made a career out of making puppets mm-hmm. would be. Yeah. But isn't that not even the weirdest thing about him? I don't know. What's the weirdest thing about it? I thought he was like super religious, like won't go to doctors type of religious guy. Oh, like Christian scientist. Did I make that up? Or is that some other puppeteer? <laughs> that... I don't know. I don't. You know That's what? not Maybe something I, I know about him. his biography and find out. But you know what? Yeah. It looks like he died of bacterial pneumonia or something like that. From not going to um, But it doesn't, I'm looking at his personal life section and it doesn't say anything about like religion. You know, if reading Maybe. Wikipedia accounts as biographies, I do look at Wikipedia. I've read quite a few um. biographies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've read quite a few personal life sections of Wikipedia. Right. Personal, oh, yeah. If there's a section that says like controversies, I love those. Those are yeah. great sections as well. In that case, I would say I've, I've I've read many, and mostly it's of actors who are presently on the screen in front of me. I need to know, are they married? Yep. Mm-hmm. To whom? When? Well, mm-hmm. I need to know if they did any gay stuff or if they do any gay stuff currently. Wikipedia might not tell you that. Uh, sometimes they do. It's always under personal life. Sometimes. <laughs> um, okay. Speaking of doing Mary, gay do stuff. Mary, do you have Oh, wait. Do you no, have an answer? Got, Mary's got to know or, an answer. You don't have one. to. Ha- it's okay. I read about half of Walt Disney's a Walt Disney biography one time. Interesting. Did you get to the um, really cryogenic part? Or <laughs> no, but I have read a lot of um, Wikipedia about that. So All right. I tell you well, that. speaking of things that should have been Wikipedia. <laughs> uh-huh. Just kidding. <laughs> so here's the Goodreads summary of this book. This is I, I deleted a lot of <laughs> the summary because there was a lot of like from the brilliant mind of blah 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 from the heart and soul of Jennifer Lopez. Um <laughs> and from dream, when- dreams from the dreams of Jennifer Lopez is what really gets me. <laughs> uh maybe we'll talk about that movie in the future. We'll have to see. We oh, have love, to. Would love that. Um it's based on a book. And the book is the literature that is Jennifer Lopez's <laughs> life and existence. Okay. When X and I cl- <laughs> Okay, I just thought, what if X was Jennifer Lopez? Oh, no. <laughs> oh my god. I want you to view through the lens of imagine X is Jennifer Lopez. Okay. When X, an iconoclastic artist, writer, and polarizing shapeshifter, falls dead in her office. Her widow, wild with grief and refusing everyone's good advice, hurls herself into writing a biography of the woman she deified. 
Though X was recognized as a crucial creative force of her era, she kept a tight grip on her life story. Not even CM, her wife, knew where X had been born, and in her quest to find out, she opens a Pandora's box of secrets, betrayals, and destruction. All the while, she immerses herself in the history of the Southern Territory, a fascist theocracy that split from the rest of the country after World War II, as it is finally in the present day forced into an uneasy reunification. A masterfully constructed literary adventure, complete with original images assembled by X's widow, Biography of X follows a grieving wife seeking to understand the woman who enthralled her. CM traces X's peripatetic, is that how you say that? Sure. (laughs) Trajectory. Over decades, from Europe to the ruins of America's divided territories and through her collaborations and feuds with everyone from Bowie and Waits to Sontag and Acker. And when she finally understands the scope of X's defining artistic project, CM realizes her wife's deceptions were far crueler than she had imagined, than she imagined without the hat. That's kind of the whole book. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, I didn't need to read the book. I could have just read that. Like, the thing about this is that it makes it sound like the deceptions are going to be, like, like thrilling, interesting, interesting, (laughs) shocking. Um, Mm -hmm. And none of them, as soon as the premise is established and we understand, like, what X's biggest art piece was, which, just for context, if anyone listening hasn't read the book, her biggest sort of thing that she did was take on personas Um, So she pretended to be a bunch of different people, um, and some of them were writers, and some of them were filmmakers, and she would, like, wear wigs and and dress up very, like, um, and it ended up being her performance art piece, and she comes out with this show called The Human Subject, where she has documented all of this deception. Um, But, like, the thing is, that already exists when the biography is being written. So it's like, if that were the thing that like nobody knew that she was pretending to be a bunch of people, that might have been more interesting. But like everybody already knew that. Yeah. From the beginning. So it wasn't like the the writer, the wife discovering that X had been pretending to be a bunch of different people. It was yeah. that. It just kind of felt like in every single interview, we were kind of learning the same thing about X over and over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get to to that. Um, <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I want to start first with the alternate history that's happening in the background of the novel, which the description mentioned. So... New takes on the division of the North and South within North America are not rare. Later this year, I think, Alex Garland's Civil War movie is coming out. And we've also read books on the podcast that toy with ideas like this. Like we read American War by Omar el which is set in the near future with a civil war based on the use of fossil fuels. Um, but in this I book, don't we don't ever anything about that book. <laughs> <laughs> I I only remembered that we read a book with that concept. <sighs> and then when I looked it up, I started to remember a little bit yeah. about it. Um, it's been wiped. It wasn't a favorite. Um, it we didn't dislike. I, we didn't hate it. It was just kind of mm-hmm. one of those books that we read and no, we I remember like, yeah. it. If I hated it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a solid, probably three stars. So in this book, we don't get to the future or even the present or like our present. The book's present, I think, is two thousand five. 
Um, because the entire thing takes place in the past. Uh, and starts with, or the the division of history starts with 1945 when there is a wall that is constructed between the Southern Territory and the Northern Territory. And then there's also a Western Territory that's kind of like, from my understanding of the book, just a bunch of libertarians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Put those guys out there. Yeah. Um. In reading interviews with Catherine Lacey today, which I read a bunch of them because I was like, maybe if I read more interviews, I'll kind of like get a better sense of this decision. Um, Her most asked and most answered question, which she answers, answers the same way every time, was about this choice. Why this backdrop? And her answer repeatedly was that she wanted to write a biography of a famous woman from the point of view of a grieving wife. And that she wanted it to be set in the middle of the 20th century because she wanted to explore that moment in the history of art. But she felt she couldn't write a story about queer people at that time without the struggle of their queerness being at the forefront of the story or, like, the main struggle of the characters. And she wasn't interested in writing about that specifically. So she decided that she had to write about an entirely different version of America in which a famous woman's queerness was the least interesting thing about her. I... I'm very curious to hear what you guys think about this because I was expecting a different answer, and I think that this is an insane, frankly. I, I hate this answer. This I know, like, makes me like the book a lot less. No, because that it feel is- it makes <laughs> it feels so much less intentional. It feels and so thoughtful. so much less in- intentional, and also like. It's just, like, wild to me to be like, oh, I didn't want to deal with the problem of her being queer. And so I just, like, tried to do something so that I could ignore that. And yet, um, then you uh, introduce a whole bunch of other issues that you Mm -hmm. don't address by creating this alternate history. Yeah, I don't know. Like... And I'm sure we can talk about it, but just, yeah, the whole idea of, like, I don't want to deal with, like, X, Y, Z, like, identity politics, and so I did this. Um, Yeah. Every single backdrop is going to have some kind of identity politics by, like, just, like, creating a different history to, like, avoid one kind. You've, like, totally um, knocked into another kind that you're Mm -hmm. also just ignoring. Also, just the idea that the art scene in North America would be as eerily similar to how it mm-hmm. actually went. Yeah, if- but but Brian Eno was a woman this time. Yeah, everything's the same except <laughs> the South is like Worse. really fucked up, and like obviously, I guess like the South had no influence on the art scene because yeah. Like, Sure. Because it's exactly the same, even though the South was, like, totally shut off from the North. And so... Rock and roll? Yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? Not the South. And also, somehow, like, all of these people in the North who have now supposedly experienced much less oppression are still making the same art. Like all of these like queer yeah, artists absolutely not. Who so much of of so much of like so much of art in general comes from pain, right? And it's like if you like erase in a way that doesn't actually make sense 
for how the world yeah. works and how human beings are if you try to make it it's just it's such a simplistic mm-hmm. view it's pretty dumb it's pretty dumb yeah i yeah it is a long walk that she did not have to take. Yes. Because I wouldn't say that the art scene in the time she's talking about is devoid of queer people. No, like, are you gonna it's talk like, about Andy Warhol and be like, mm-mm, totally straight. David guy there. Bowie. David Bowie? Like, I don't think it's fair to say like they would just really be picked on for being queer. So I'm going to do this wraparound reason that doesn't make any sense. Queer people existed at that time. Yeah. And did art. Mm-hmm. And had other things going on. I'm just adjusting my rating real fast. <laughs> I know. It's like brewing in it down. Yeah. Let me just Often adjust. when I when I read <laughs> interviews with an author, I find that I understand or, like, appreciate their intentions more. This this had zero intention behind it at all. Reading her interviews about her reasoning behind the choices she made for this book made me definitely like the book a lot less. Even though I didn't love the book to begin with. Um, But it really kind of pissed me off. Like... she has other books, like this is not her first novel. So this kind of, the way that she was like answering questions about this kind of felt like she was like, I just wanted to like try something different and like have fun with it and like do a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, okay. But like the things that she decided to play around with have like actual like real implications mm-hmm. that she's mm-hmm. not exploring. Um, And to hear her kind of, I thought that maybe she would, in the interviews, seem to have been more thoughtful about it, but maybe it didn't all make it sway onto the page. But she, it just seems like she wasn't. I have a theory that's not yes. very nice. Okay. <laughs> I think she wrote some other books that people liked. I don't know if they liked them or not. Todd was like, oh, I read such and such book by her, and it was it was good. I think she wrote other books that critics liked. And so when this book came out, critics were like, oh my gosh, it's it's our girl. We love it. Because I found one review that had something negative to say about this book. And I'm like, I can't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't. I can't. This can't be a, a work of brilliance. And I missed it entirely, you know? Yeah. It's like, I think that it's like, oh, it's ambitious in scope. Is it? I mean, it doesn't actually, like, explore the, like, the idea of it is ambitious, right? I think that, like, it's all of the- I would say it's ambitious. Yeah. It's ambitious because she Googled a bunch of things other people said? Well, it's ambitious to rewrite history. And, well, and, and uh, in I mean, that way. inventing a whole, uh, inventing all of these sources too is like there. There's a lot went into that. Like, I think this is. Ambitious. I don't know. I I hear you. I I'm not know. saying it was successful. I think it's. I think it's an ambitious project to take on, and I think that 
that there was research put into it. And I think that like when something like that comes from an author that people have respected her previous work, I think the automatic impulse is to say like, she, good job. Yeah, good job. We we really respect this big swing you took, and it's brilliant. But it's well, like, I, maybe this is me. But when you take a full dump on the place I've lived my entire life without even like a hint of nuance, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're gonna get to that later. But I will say it. that she is from Mississippi. Yeah, I don't uh, care. yeah she ain't living there anymore no yeah (laughs) my feelings are clear yeah we'll talk about it it. yeah do we want to just talk about that now then i guess so let's talk about it because this is okay so this is kind of what i was getting at when i said like okay she so she's invented this entire history so that she doesn't have to talk about queer issues Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, first, like that's fucking weird to me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like why would you not want to talk about that? For one thing, like I don't know. Anyway, and that's if you don't want to talk about it, just don't. Yeah, yeah, but it seems like such an important part of this book in a lot of ways, and yet not in a lot of ways. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just very weird to me. Um, but. So you invented this whole other history to avoid that, and you just, like, ran smack dab into, like, all these other politics that you're just, like, choosing to ignore anyway. Like, there's a whole lot of, like, issues with, like, racial politics that are getting ignored Mm -hmm. here. Um, I think it's just, I, I understand that this is a book that's written about an alternate history, but contemporary audiences are reading this and they're reading this with the context of like what's happened in our history. And she wrote it with the context of what, what has happened in our history, like up to today, up till today. And I think it's like pretty irresponsible to talk about politics in the South and political beliefs in the South. Um, while ignoring like all the voter suppression that's happened down here, all of the people who, are working really hard down here to like fight against fundamentalism Mm -hmm. like this. Um, And I think like, yeah, she says there are like a couple of rebels or whatever, but like the consensus seems to be like most people in the South think this way. And I think that's a really, yeah. And I think that's a really irresponsible way to talk about the South considering like the contemporary political culture and how much the South and, like, so many people in the South are struggling to, like, have their voices heard. Yeah. yeah. And I will read this quote from her uh, just quickly because someone asked her, um, actually, The Guardian, which I think is kind of funny because it's a British publication. And this is the only um, interview I read that really, like, addressed this question directly. Um which is they asked her if she had qualms about portraying the South as a separatist theocracy. And she said, it's an exaggerated nightmare of what could have happened to that part of the country. I didn't want a cheap shot. I'm Southern. I grew up in Mississippi and then in Tennessee and my whole family still lives in Mississippi. I don't want to be one of those people who dismisses Mississippi as full of ignorant racists because it's not. The culture I grew up in is the reason I write. I think for a lot of writers coming out of the South, it's a very complicated place. It's America magnified. Everything problematic about America just made really big. 
So it's very strange because she says this and, and it seems. And I agree. The South is a complicated place. Like I'm not yeah. saying and it's perfect in the end, but I don't think she portrayed that complicatedness. Yeah. And I think this is something we talked about off podcast, but I think this also yeah. ignores the fact that there are fucking bigots in America everywhere. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like of like Maine, like northern or like parts yeah. of Maine, parts yeah. of upstate New York, like where you drive through and see giant Trump flags. Like it's not mm-hmm. isolated to the south. It's more like and like I've heard li- in listening to people discussing just the trailer for Alex Garland's Civil War, this idea of like north versus south is like so not really where our country is anymore yeah. because our country has expanded so much because like it's kind of a, a city versus rural situation yeah. now more yep. than a, you know, north versus south. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Also. Is it just me? I don't know. I feel like this quote is giving, I have a black friend. It, yeah, it kind of is. And I think, like, it, I really like I have relatives in the South. <laughs> well, it, and it doesn't answer the question, right? Because she's like, oh, I didn't want to do this. And it's like, but, yeah. but you kind of did. You did so, it, girl. Like, that's what we're asking about. And you're not really, like, responding to that. You're just kind of being like, oh, I would never. I'm like, well, how about the fact that you kind of did? Yeah. And it's like this is this is an issue that I have like with the book in general is that like there were sections where she where she tries to touch on this and where she but it's like she never like and Emily and I are talking about this that she never like goes all the way with any of the ideas that are presented here. So it's like it's like there's a section about like black artists in the South and like this art artist collective that like comes out of the South and uh, but then it's just kind of like it, all of this again is background noise to this relationship or and this woman and it's just like why would you put all of this in here and leave so much like you know on the cutting room floor and not it's just a weird thing to put in your book when it's ultimately like not something you're even interested in exploring Because, like, that's essentially what she said is, like, it's not something she's interested in exploring. She just put it in there. And it would be interesting to explore. Like, when I first started reading about the separation, I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. Like, I love an alternate history. And for a while, I thought we were going in the direction of, like, it's this religious theocracy but people are still divided over whether they mm-hmm. like it or not. Because it seemed like there was a lot of like, we just got to take so-and-so out and kill them because they were doing something bad, showing right. their ankles or something, right? Like, And that <laughs> is interesting, this kind of... Yeah. Like, but, but it felt like a very broad brush of like, no, actually, you know, everybody likes it because it's what they know and they're not going to question it. And they're all homophobic down there. And they're all homophobic. Gonna, like, it really, it seems like everyone's lesbian. stupid in the South. Yeah. Cause they're well, not going to yeah, question like, it. We didn't get any real, um, like any characters other than the people who had escaped, I guess. Mm-hmm that that she spoke with who lived in the south who who 
were actively sort of and like also you know in in the present of the story like it's a reunification is happening so it's you know the wall has come down and people are supposedly allowed to you know travel and but we don't get a nuanced view of the people who live there because most of the interviews that we get with the people who live there are people who believe in that way of life so we understand that there are rebels and X was one of them, but we don't. Yeah, we don't explore because because that's not the point of the story. But it's like, then why is right. it right? After, after yeah. X is out of there, that really isn't like part of anything she does anymore. No, no, she and left at the, it at the start of this. Which, but okay, so I'm gonna say like for the first like sixty pages or so, I was like very interested. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I thought like. I thought this alternate history and like the reunification and all of that was going to be such a different type of factor in the book than it actually was. But what it turned out to be like, like Mary, you just said that quote was giving, I have a black friend. I thought like her (laughs) descriptions of like even what the North was like was giving, I'm actually a libertarian. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Cause it would be like, Oh, despite that we, like, have parental leave and equal pay, like, are, are people really happy? Like, uh-huh. that yeah. kind of thing. But Well, and also just the fact that X is, like, so anti-government and would, like, would never vote. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck this and, bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> but then also is, like, down with fascism, maybe, or is performing to be okay, down with fascism. Okay, one interesting thing <laughs> about that is that that's from an actual interview with David Bowie, who uh-huh. said that about ah, fascism. I didn't know that. And uh, then the same thing later where he was later like, I was on a lot of coke at the time when I yeah. gave that interview, oh. <laughs> and I don't know what I was talking about. Um, but it's... A lot of a lot of the things that X says are direct quotes from actual like artists at the time or musicians Most of from the, the time. She says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like a very and I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't. I feel kind of dumb for not knowing that was Bowie. Don't quote. <laughs> don't say you're born naked and the rest is drag and be like quoted by X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please. Embarrassing. I'm really having a great time just listening to Mary because I feel like (laughs) you're often the, like, nicest one about these things. And today you're like, I "I don't have have time for that. And I'm not interested in it. I just have some gripes. (laughs) Yeah. No, and they're they're perfectly valid gripes. And I would like to state for the record that I thought this book was going to be good. So no, no one um, picks a book thinking this is going to be a piece of crap. <laughs> well, Although, on a hate episode, all rules are yeah that's upside different. down. But um, but no I one think thinks like I'm going to pick a book that sounds bad. Well, yeah. multiple people told me that they liked it, which like Did I they don't lie? even. I don't. It's so weird to me because usually <laughs> when I when we pick books for this podcast, it's like, and also this is all to say like I did personally. I did not hate this book but i'm not i did not like it i'm mm-hmm. and i'm leaning more and more towards 
my feelings about it are getting more negative the more I think about it. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, but I'm starting you. to like it less just from this conversation. <laughs> well, and just from the the reading that I did today really kind of, like I said, shifted my perception of things because, like, if a if an author can, like, thoughtfully articulate why they made decisions that they made and I can see it from their perspective, then that usually helps me. But I just kind of did not get that. And maybe she's just not good at being interviewed. But uh, it was not giving. Um, no. Anyway... <laughs> Well, uh, okay, let's let's talk about X because we we talked about her a little bit, and then we can this we can kind of get into the quoting of other figures, etc. Um, I think it's safe to say that we all probably have a negative impression of her because She's I can't imagine nice. reading this book and not coming away with the understanding that she fucking sucks. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about the ways in which she sucks. Uh, did we find her compelling? Were we interested in her art, her point of view? Does having the context of her upbringing and her escape from the Southern Territory affect the way we feel about her? I thought her art sounded really bad. Um, yeah. And I especially, as someone who writes or, like, attempts to write, I guess, I found her writing to be really bad sounding. Um, yeah. Like, when they described the novels she was writing, I was like, that sounds really awful and like pretentious at best. Um, and also like the fact that she like waltzes into a room, sits there for three days with a typewriter and then comes out with a manuscript that <laughs> yeah, like doesn't not. need any editing or anything. I'm like, absolutely. Like this, it's, that sounds like someone who doesn't write explaining yeah. how writing works like that's just not how writing works everybody needs an editor everybody needs to do a second draft like if if she published that it was garbage it just yeah. was and i feel like that was supposed to convey this idea of her being some kind of genius which it doesn't work when everything you describe that Sounds she's bad. done <laughs> is bad and also it's either bad or it's you describe it vaguely and you say you like use quotes from other people talking about other pieces of work that other people did that are not the same thing as what you're describing. And here. also a lot of the art she did was things other people have done. Yeah. yeah. And also this is to say performance art. It su- kind of sucks a lot of the time. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, mean, I say this as someone who went, who studied art and who has a minor in art history. And this is my opinion, but um, yeah. performance art is kind of um, really annoying. Sorry. I think some of it is interesting to read about later. But if yeah. I was actually there, I'd be like, "What are we?" Doing? And I've had to do it's performance just an art. Social situation is what performance art is. But it. And I hate to go back. It feels like plagiarism. It feels like plagiarism to just take, like, all of the most interesting quotes, all of the most interesting art projects, all the most interesting performances, and being like, it was one person. Like, no. She didn't come up with any of this. The author didn't come up with any of this. She just did a bunch of Googling. Yeah. Okay. That does make it sound less ambitious than... Then I was ready to defend it for being. But what I, what it is, is it's Forrest Gump. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. Very much so. I was thinking about that while reading it. Is, it's it's t- taking is someone Oleg and putting Bubba? them into. 
Oh, look, they they actually were in the photo with John F. Kennedy that time. Right. But yeah. see, Forrest see, oh, in the back. actual history. Well, so did this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, this but, used some actual know. history. Um, all of the, almost all of the These real people and. Most of the people, like Connie yeah. Converse is yeah. a real musician who disappeared mysteriously. Um, okay, here's my other thing. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. No, don't apologize. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Taking people who died or like Connie Converse did disappear. And I mm-hmm. guess it was mysterious. But like she left a note saying like, I'm leaving. I'm going to start a new life and it's going to work out for me or not. Let me go. I don't yeah, want you to look She disappeared like me. with intention. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm, yes. And like her family eventually was like, yeah, we're letting you go. You know, and nobody knows what happened to her, really. And that's how it is. Frank O'Hara died in 1966. Like, we don't have to resurrect Frank O'Hara and have him have a party. Yeah. I To some extent, it's fun to think of, like, what if things had been different? But it's frustrating to me to create such a different world say nothing is actually different except a couple of people lived yeah well it's just completely ignoring well, and Bernie like Sanders was the president like have you ever watched like a time travel movie like yes. if you like go back in time and alter something that massive nothing is going to be no this way what it, happened to make Brian you know a woman like what that is a a biological like <laughs> it, that's just what what like that has nothing to do that. with the course of history changing. So like that's something that is just a random decision. Or of fate. is she saying Brian Eno was trans? Maybe. Maybe the text doesn't support it though. <laughs> the text um is a bit weak. I think uh, it's also, I mean, I, like, at first I was finding it entertaining reading, like, like seeing artist names who I know of yeah. and, you know, like, s- having them talk about Richard Sarah being an asshole is funny to me. Uh, and I've, like, seen his work in person. And it's mm-hmm. just, like, you know, I think, like, having – it sort of feels like you're being inserted into this – a world of of art and and all of the stuff with like Susan Sontag and mm-hmm. X didn't like each other, but also half of like the quotes from X are actually Susan yeah. Sontag quotes. Um, it's just at a certain point it becomes repetitive, which is like part of what Emily was saying earlier about each new person that we meet in this story that is an ex-lover or an ex, you know, friend or collaborator of ex <laughs> uh, is kind of saying the same thing where, mm-hmm. oh, she was a genius and, oh, maybe she was pretending, but it doesn't really matter because she was a genius or, you know, I still believe that that's the person that she was at that time. And, like, what... <sighs> Why yeah. do we need that many people to tell us the I same thing? I got less and less interested in the interviews the further I got in the book because I just don't feel like I was learning anything mm-hmm. new. I liked the stuff with Oleg Hall because to me it was like 
a, a fun exploration of like a very toxic uh, yeah. relationship that is definitely like this like codependent bestie lesbian and gay man vibe mm-hmm. is so real. Gosh, um, she was also the worst. The worst. But she's also the worst. Oh my god! Like oh, X, they, X they deserved each other from the beginning yes. to the end. Like yeah, even yes. if we want to excuse the pretending to be other people and say like it was a performance piece, she begins her timeline by getting married and having a kid and then just peacing out and being like, I don't ever want to talk to my kid again, mm-hmm. or about the kid. or about. Maybe I'm sensitive because I had a parent who left me and, but you know, but she still talked to me. Yeah. I don't know. I just like, that's bizarre to me that like, that's where she starts and she doesn't get better from there. To me, that's like one of the more forgivable things that she does because at least like you have to like, because of that situation, like she would either have to stay in yeah. that situation and give up her entire life or leave. Also, like, it's not like... also, like, a teen mom. Right. I could understand it if there was even a thread of her feeling... I don't think she cares about anybody. No, she's a narcissist. Yeah, she doesn't care about anybody but herself, so... And then to cap the book off, with her making this really cruel art show about mm-hmm. her the wife. Narrator. Like, yeah. what? That to me was like the, as we were saying earlier, that there was so few things that were actually like shocking reveals. Um, that one to me was not surprising, but it was at least entertaining when you realize that she's going in to see this fucking like wild ass thing that this person made i was like well that's kind of that's where i was like flipping through the pages like cruising through the end because i was like this is insane (laughs) but it is insane and it's heartbreaking but like in in a story that is supposed to be about x i guess Mm -hmm. She's the worst. And I know, I know it's like, oh, we're actually like examining grief and like how her wife feels about her and like the complicated feelings there. But like, it is about X. Yeah. And it doesn't make me want to read it when I hate her. Yeah. yeah. And to me, like, even more so, because like, it's like, okay, it's fine to have characters in your book. That are unlikable. I think what's harder is to be inside the head of someone who just blindly worships a person like this and never really seems to come to any, like, realization that she fucking sucks or that this Mm -hmm. relationship was abusive. Um, Like, to me, that was really frustrating to read. Yeah. Like, it was, it was less, like, that I dislike, like, I did dislike X, but it was harder to dislike the narrator. Like, that was more difficult for me to, like, get around. Yeah. This is kind of, like, one of my other questions that we can just get into, which yeah. is, like, just what the hell is going on with the narrator? Because yeah. she... <laughs> Nothing good. No. It's, it's so clearly 
like an abusive situation and like the farther we get into the story, the further we get into the story, the more we learn about that. And suddenly it's like, oh, and that one time when she hit me and Mm. that other time when she almost hit one of our friends and they never spoke to us again. With a mallet. With a mallet. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I don't have a life of my own. I don't have a job or a personality. My yeah, entire I mean, life is centered. She, and she, she hit like her first wife. She had this job, this journalism job that she, like, really was proud of. And, like, she had won awards and shit. And For then investigating X- Nexium. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then X comes in and is like, yeah, that job, like, doesn't mean anything. And you need to quit. Like, you don't need that job. Like, that is, like, textbook abusive relationship behavior and it's it's like really like upsetting that Mm -hmm. even at the end of the book it doesn't seem like she has examined that at all like she realizes it she has been eight years acknowledges that like her life was at one point she says something like she had my life and i just had our home or something like she acknowledges that her life was like subsumed by this other person, but nothing, but nothing beyond that. Just like a statement of fact, um, but and not a desire to get past it. Really, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's she is still in that. That is still her reality. I think in writing this book. Yeah. Like it's it's just more and more trying to like prove this other person wrong for what they wrote and like show that she does know someone better, but then learns like, Oh, I don't really know myself unless she's here. But then that's not explored either. It's just like stated and left there. And the way you describe that sounds more interesting than what it is. Wait, can we, (laughs) Kelly, I know we talked about this, but like, can we just, I just want to talk about the very last paragraph in the book <laughs> because I got to the last. Should we paragraph. read it? Yeah, re- you can read it. But let me just preface it by saying I got to the last paragraph. I read it and I was immediately like, "Oh my fucking god!" This author thought of this last paragraph, this like last sentence, mm-hmm. and thought, "Yes, I'm going to write a book about this." And while you're while you're reading this, I want you to think I still thought I had 200 pages left because every single footnote had its own page. (laughs) That's so funny to me. (laughs) Even in I was like, it's never in a physical book. There is a chunk of there is. Yeah, the fact that you had texted, I have a lot of reading to do today and tomorrow, and then like 10 minutes later, you were like, Oh, I finished. Wait, I finished. (laughs) What a wonderful feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I was was relieved. Um, Okay, so it says, at the morgue, they weighed her body, measured it, measured each limb, weighed each organ, determined the cause of death. They gave me a document that described her body in the most discreet terms, as if we could say, as if we could ever say for certain where she ended and where the world began. I really, I just really do feel feel like this author, like, thought of that idea and was like, that's the book. That's and it. That and then I'm I'm gonna end on this idea. Line in a poem. Well, yeah. Could That's an image. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't have taken as long. I I think this book was way longer than it needed to be. Oh yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> I went. I mean, I, I've never like 
Well, well, you'll see by my rating. It's not like I rated it horribly or anything, but I've never had like such a drastic turn from like starting out thinking like we're in like four, maybe five territory. Like this is going to be great for me. And then like by the middle, I was really like pushing through. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do a Kelly's art corner um, and I was just flipping through. I had bookmarked a couple of pages throughout um, and some things that I liked towards the beginning and then the farther along you get, the more my bookmarks are things that I hated. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I bookmarked the Nexium page because I was like, I have to. That was an odd choice. Because that's a very recent thing that happened with people still in it. Like, there are people still doing Nexium stuff. There are people who were victims of it that are still here. I don't know. It's just weird to be like, "Mm, teehee. Little cold. Yeah. Um, it was called, like, Hex Wim or something. Maybe she just just didn't know of any other cult (sighs) to talk about. There's so. so many to choose from. I know, but what did she call Keith Raniere? It was like Reef Canary. Yeah, it was it's like sick. Reef Cantel or something. Like Reef Canet. Canet. <laughs> and it's um, it's pr- it's spelled H X W Z M, pronounced Hexwim. Uh huh. Um. Anyway, okay. So I've t- I've spoken many times on this podcast about how if you're going to write about art. Um, and you're going to say that people thought it was genius, you better fucking do a good job because otherwise it's embarrassing and we can see right through you. Here is an example, um, which to be fair, it does say X's performances became even more bizarre and much less popular. Okay. This, I'm just going to read it. In one, she entered the stage as an elderly woman, a gray wig, cane, and gaudy muumuu. Then, through a series of rip-away costume changes, she aged in reverse. A stately older woman, an exhausted mother, a new mother, a bride, a teen, a preteen, a girl, until she was writhing on the ground as an infant, naked and seemingly orgasming. <laughs> this is the worst thing. I have... It, it is so... It is so fucking amateur. Like... Are you kidding me? Like, that is truly the performance piece that someone would think of in, like, Foundations Course 101 when someone is like, think of a of a piece about aging that you could do. Mm-hmm. Like, so much, a, a lot of the art that's described is taken from actual artwork, but the things that are, that are not, like, for example, some of the books and the movie plots that were described and things like that mm-hmm. all sound like absolute garbage um, yes. that nobody would think of as like profound art. And I, I wanted to talk about the thing that jumps out to me as this novel's greatest concern, which is that of the self. And what <laughs> is it? And where does it begin? And where does it end? And does it even exist? Um And, like, I find that idea and that concept and theme very interesting. Mm -hmm. But the way that she somehow fails to explore it 
at all in this book where so much of the art is supposed to be about that is shocking to me. Yes. I thought of you while reading it because of how much you hated the photography in <laughs> Little Fires Everywhere. Yes. I was You're just like, thinking about that. sucks. <laughs> a, a black and white photo of a crushed rose petal and a Doc Martin boot next to it. <laughs> like, fuck off. I can't get over that. And so much of, of X's art is for sure like riffing on like Cindy Sherman. Mm-hmm. And Cindy Sherman is doing so much more <laughs> than X is doing in any of this. And uh, Cindy Sherman is not doing these things. Cindy Sherman's art is very much like photography based. Mm-hmm. And so she has all of these personas and and um, she does a lot of stage makeup and she does a lot of like performance-esque things, but it's through photography. And so th- it feels like this author thought of Cindy Sherman and was like, what if Cindy Sherman was actually performing all of these characters that she is in photos, but in real life? And it just kind of ends at the what if she dot, dot, dot. And so there's like this whole question of like, well, if X really felt these things and was these people to other people, then does it matter that she was pretending? Because like in that moment in time, it was real or whatever. And it's like, but X did not believe she was these people. And also... X is a fucking manipulative little freak mm-hmm. who is not like doing this out of some sense of like wanting to, you know, experience life fully. She's doing no. this so that people will pay attention to her. Yes. Yeah. I think this is a very pretentious book where someone can say, "Look all the, look at all the things I know about art. Look at all the things I know about the world in the 70s and 80s." I am very smart. And then actually the interrogation of the main thesis of the book about the self is very shallow. It's just not even there. And it's like, I I am currently reading a book of short stories that are like translated from Macedonian. And today I read a short story that was like five pages long mm-hmm. that was about this concept that was so much more like interesting and thought-provoking and like emotionally impactful than anything in this entire book was yes i am not mad that this book exists i am mad (laughs) that it has gotten the critical acclaim that it has because i feel like it is misleading and it makes it makes the critic world and like the whole genre of literary review just feel like a circle jerk. Yes. And that's very frustrating to me. Now I want to go read a bunch of reviews. I've been avoiding it because I didn't finish the book until today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when I picked it up from the bookstore, um, the, the owner of the shop was like, Oh, I'm reading this one right now. And it's so good. I was like, Oh, awesome. Now I'm worried about that owner. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe she was on page 60. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. she might have just started. I'm reading it right now. I'm 20 pages in. Well, because yeah. I was into it at the beginning, too. 
Yeah. I and then it, was it just like fly through. And it, in fact, it took me much longer. Than it and be. it became clear that it was never going to get to anything real. I brought this with me on a work trip that involved plane rides. And usually if I bring a book with me in that setting, like I'm going to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I didn't have really a hard time reading it. I just was frustrated because um, I wanted more. I, I wanted had a hard like, time going back to it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have a hard time reading it. I had a hard time wanting to pick it up and read yeah. it because I just found myself wanting to read something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Is this over the now. tight ship you imagined? It is. I was I was about to lead us into our ratings. Oh, good, 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 good. Um, unless anyone has anything else they wanted to say before we we go I in. I think I've yelled I've enough. said it all. I think y'all have like it in my head knocked my rating down a little. I think I've been I think I've been moved down. I have. Um, I definitely have. Yeah, because I started at a three. So I think I'm going down to a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also I'm, am going down to a two. I started at a two. <laughs> <laughs> Only because a one felt too mean. You can give it a one. I don't care. No, no not because I thought you would care. I just like... <laughs> That means I wanted to give it a one for my enjoyment, but then I'm like, I don't know. You know, I did finish it. (laughs) (laughs) The writing wasn't bad. (laughs) It wasn't bad. It wasn't my favorite. Yeah, it wasn't great. I've seen worse for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remain at a two. Okay, so are we all at a two? No, I gave it a three. Oh, well, I thought you were saying you were going down. Well, so on my reading log, I gave it a three and a half. Oh, okay. So, so now you're down yeah. to a three. Bumped down a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would probably give it a two and a half. I-, I see why more people are falling in the two range, but yeah. I really did. I mean, even beyond 60 pages, that was like when I thought we were like in, in four or five territory. And then like mm-hmm. even for a while after that, I was still – enjoying it it. and i was still like i think the premise is really cool i don't think every piece of the execution is successful but Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's like poorly done i was impressed with some of it yeah i like the premise and i also liked the parts that that i found to be maybe the most compelling were about like the actual relationship between x and the wife and kind of some reflections on that relationship from the narrator, but they never quite got as far as I wanted them to. But there were, like, some moments towards the beginning that I bookmarked that I thought were just, like, nice little, like, moments of, like, those certain observations that you will read and think, like, I really like the way that that was put, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't an altogether... uh horrible experience i just um i'm very disappointed because i want i obviously chose it wanting (laughs) more yeah so you know it's fine it happens it happens happens to all of us except for not usually emily but the rest of us (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. This doesn't ever happen to Emily. It's not fair. (laughs) Now to talk about a book that is actually really good. Um, (laughs) So I spoke with Emily Austin about her novel, Interesting Facts About Space. This is her second book. Her first book is called Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, which Mm -hmm. I also designed the cover of. Um, I am just, like, such a huge fan of her books. She is amazing. I'm obsessed with her. Uh, So, and I can't wait until she has another book. But uh, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Hello. Thank you for being here, Emily Austin, author of Interesting Facts About Space. Um, I am so happy to have you here. Uh, Just for people who are listening who might not know this, uh, I am the designer of your book covers. So this is kind of an interesting, different conversation to have. Yeah, and I have a bunch of questions for you because of that. I was was (laughs) saying to Kelly before we started recording that I'm frequently asked questions about the cover, and I'm always like, well, they're like, where did you come up with that? I'm like, I didn't, they don't have the authors do the cover, I don't know. (laughs) So. Well, I'm, that's, that's always really funny to me because I'm like, I feel like what I do is so not, um, mysterious at all but then people ask me and it's so funny too because whenever people ask me about the process they always ask the same set of questions like leading yeah Yeah. so which is probably true for you too when you're doing interviews about stuff you've written I'm sure yeah (laughs) and you know as as, since I have a new book out I'm always like uh I wish that I had more like practice run times because I don't know what the questions are completely right but I'm noticing a pattern I'm starting to notice a pattern we'll count this as a practice run um (laughs) (laughs) so I guess uh just to start um if you want to kind of summarize or like give a your elevator pitch of what your book is which I'm curious like a so that listeners know what it's about but b like your book is about both of your books are about so many different things. So like, how do you describe your book to somebody? (laughs) Yeah, so this one I describe as a story about a woman who is obsessed with space and true crime and has an irrational fear of bald men and feels like someone is stalking her. Um, I normally actually write the summary before I write the book. My writing process is sort of uh, like I don't do much planning, but my writing process is to write a bunch of little summaries and most of them are horrible. But then I pick one that I'm like, that's the one I could work with the most. So this one is just the one that bubbled to the top out of a bunch of like those. That's so interesting. And I have a question on here that I wanted to ask you about your writing process. So I'll just skip to that anyway. <laughs> um, because, you know... I, I wanted to ask if you work with an outline or anything, which you just said that there's not really a, a planning process necessarily, but your books like do this amazing thing where every moment it kind of builds towards a series of conclusions, but the scenes themselves don't ever feel like this is this plot point and this is this plot point. It just sort of like builds organically until suddenly you realize a whole book happened and you're like, whoa. <laughs> so um, I am curious about the invisible machinery of your brain that is uh, at work here. Well, you make it sound way better than I think it is. I think uh, 
what I do is I do have that sort of like high level idea of what I'm going to write about. And again, uh, I write a bunch of those that are terrible. So there's also like a ton that are just the worst thing you'd ever read. Um, and then I don't plan the way that I think I should. And I don't necessarily recommend this, actually. <laughs> I think planning is probably smart. I don't I don't know why I don't. Um, but I end up writing that sort of little pitch. And then I write the first chapter without having any idea where it's going to go. And that in that, I sort of figure out, and normally that changes and ends up not being, you know, everything gets adjusted. Right. But I write the first chapter and that sort of helps me identify who the character is or, you know, what the, where they are and all of that. And then after that, that's another stage actually where I start to think this is terrible. So I have a bunch that are like, the pitch is okay. The first chapter is horrible. So that one's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but if I get past the pitch in the first chapter, then I do sort of think, okay, what could happen? And I don't plan it super formally. It's more like, okay, here are like four ways this could go. Let's see how it sort of organically goes. Could it go this way or this way? And then around like the middle point, I would, I would have like an ending in mind. And then that would be like, I would have that in mind while I'm writing and editing the ending. Wow. That's really cool. And also kind of encouraging when I think about like, anytime I've been thinking about like, oh, it, w- it would be fun to like write. And you know, every, every November, I'm like, oh, this is the time oh, I'm yeah. going to finally <laughs> participate. Yeah. Um, but I never do. And I think it's like that idea of planning and like having a full outline and having all of these like, I don't know, like that stresses me out to the point where I just don't even start. Yeah, it's the least but fun the thought part of yeah, planning. just jumping in yeah. is really it's cool. Fun. It's probably yeah. not. I think you probably should plan though. Every time, every time I'm in the middle of a book, I'm like, what? Why didn't I? <laughs> why didn't I plan this out more? And yeah. Well, it seem it feels planned once well, you're done, <laughs> so it works out. Um, yeah, I can't speak to like how difficult it makes it for you during the process <laughs> of writing it. But um, you were talking about uh, the characters a little bit, and um, both of so you have two protagonists in um, interesting facts about space. There's Enid, and then your first book, um, which is called "Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead." The protagonist is Gilda, and both of them are like queer, neurodivergent, struggling with mental illness. Um, And so they're pretty similar in some ways, but they're also really distinct characters. And so what would you say were the biggest characteristics that kind of set them apart from each other? And like, were you, when you were writing Enid, were you conscious of like, I can't make her like Gilda, she has to be different? Or were you just kind of like, let's see how it goes? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a good question. I was... You know, I did sort of think I should write a character who's very different from from Gilda. But the reality is that I like to write about anxiety, and I and you know, you want to write about right. um, things you have something to say about, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a certain there's a certain aspect of characters like being being a lesbian and being anxious that is probably a common thread. But I did. Um, I started writing interesting facts about space before everyone in this room will someday be dead came out. And so I was really super thoughtful about um, that sort of thing because I was still sort of in the mindset that I didn't know. I didn't really know what was going on. I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to read this first book. I don't know what's going to happen with this next one. Like I was mostly writing it for the sake of my own 
hobby of writing, I guess. Right. Um, but I, as I was writing it and, it, and everyone in this room, Will Someday Be Dead, came out, and I started to think, oh, like, maybe, you know, I have a book. And somewhat, it's possible that this will become a book, too. And I did start to think, oh, is this, is this, uh, how can I make sure that this isn't exactly the same? And I do think they are distinct characters. They have things in common, but, um, Enid is more, uh, functional. Gilda's more, um, like struggles yes. <laughs> to work, struggles to get out of her house, like can't clean her apartment. Enid has a job and she's able to operate in, in the world and she has struggles definitely, but she's not someone that you would meet and immediately clock as being like very, bizarre and strange in fact she works very hard at being someone who you wouldn't clock that way as so it's a like a major difference is that i think there's also um gilda's really like in her head and really you know she's having like an existential crisis and enid is her her concern is more relating to how she connects to other people and she's more um She's less fixated. She's worried about death in the sense that she thinks someone's stalking her and is going to, you know, and she th- she listens to true crime on, on repeat and things like that. But she's more concerned about herself being a bad person than she is about, um, you know, her existence or, you know. Or like losing people she loves and exactly. things like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I think also there's like a self-awareness in a way that Gilda has that Enid sometimes doesn't, especially towards the beginning. Fair, That's yeah. kind of like her her journey a little bit of like realizing like maybe I need help. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I uh I admire that you um started working on that one like right after finishing and not knowing like what the the result would be because you know i'm such a person who's like until i have to do something i will not be doing it (laughs) so if i had finished a book i'd be like great i'm not writing another book until i know for sure that (laughs) i have to do but yeah obviously you are um a passionate writer and that's really cool (laughs) yeah i think i think there's something about i think uh it's sort of hard to have like one thing when people ask like oh what's the difference now that you have like a published book and it is that like I used to write not thinking of anyone reading it and it was more Mm -hmm. just like this is how I like to spend my time I like to make up a story and I do still fall into that but then once in a while I'm like oh no like I'm supposed to (laughs) think of people reading this and I'm supposed to you know like be thinking of that aspect so i think that's why i'm able to do it because i'm not thinking of it like that i'm not thinking of it being a book i'm like this is how i spend my evening i'm enjoying writing my story that's and that's like how the best art is created honestly because something we've talked about on the podcast a lot is like how like we often prefer books that we read that don't necessarily feel like the author sat down and was like i know exactly what this is going to be, and here's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, it's nice to have some some mystery in there and, you know, to also think that, like, the author was, like, you know, making discoveries along the way, too. Yeah, that's which is, part of writing, I think. That's- yeah. I read another interview with you earlier where you talked about um, – you were talking about queer stories and, like – the ubiquity of coming out stories within yeah. um, queer stories and why it's really important to have 
stories about queer people who are already secure in their identities. Um, and that's like another thing we've talked about on the podcast a lot when we've read um, queer stuff and queer fiction is like how much we appreciate it when like, like the question of like identity in that way is not like the center of the book. It's just like a fact about a character. Um, but both of your books are also still totally about like self-discovery in a way um, for both of your characters and I think especially interesting facts about space. So do you – and this is kind of like a weird question that I thought of earlier and I'm like, is this – does this make any sense or am I just um, – but like do you think that Enid's like mental health journey in any way mirrors the experience of coming out as a lesbian or as queer? That's a good question. Um, something I was thinking about with Enid, and I think it's reflected in the book, but I should reread the book, uh, is, <laughs> is the idea that, um, you, when you're a queer person, I'm pretty sure it is, when you're a queer person, <laughs> you have to, um, like, hide yourself often when you're, when you're in your adolescence. So queer people, uh, have multiple adolescences, and that's why sometimes, uh, if you, you know, if you're someone who's fortunate enough to have had queer friends in your 20s, for example, you might notice that they're, this isn't always the case, and it depends a bit on where they are, like, in the world and things, but you might notice that their relationships sort of, they, they're sort of interacting in their relationships in a way that sometimes looks a little more teenage-like, because it's their mm -hmm. first experience, and it's the first time that they've actually you know, like had a huge crush on someone and it be reciprocated, for example, or the first time that they've sort of operated in the world, like more authentically. And they re and, and that happens, I think, to straight people when they're teenagers a little bit more, you get to like, you know, sort of experiment with, ex with being a little more grown up and, and dating someone and, you know, interacting with people and queer people don't get to do that until they're a little bit older, generally, depending on a number of variables. And what I was trying to do with Enid is sort of show how she was affected a bit by that. So she is sort of, um, she is a little, like, uh, delayed in some ways in terms of her relationships and her adolescence. And it is partly because of that experience. It's also because she's neurodivergent and she's got, you know, like her own, she's got other things going on with her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is sort of, it is, it's a, it's about her, uh, learning who she is at a bit of a delayed stage, partly because she was sort of hiding who she was when she was younger in terms of her queerness, but also in terms of lots of things. Yeah. I, I really, like that and resonate with that as like and I never thought about it as like as like a nest like a de developmental delay but like that's yeah, I don't know definitely that's what it is <laughs> no it's true it. like, in my mind I was like delay maybe isn't the right word but that is no it's like that like arrested development yeah. or what exactly. like yeah. because I know like when I you know I didn't like start exploring my sexuality or like I was always kind of like I never really came out necessarily. I just kind of like started actually acting on the things that I always said that I felt. Right. Um, but I was always like, but I'm straight though. Right. Um, and then eventually I stopped saying that part. Um, <laughs> but I uh, like when I was in high school, like I remember my first boyfriend was like the hugest heartbreak of my life when we broke up. And like I did not feel that way again until the first 
girl that I dated who broke my heart when I was like, I think I was 28. (laughs) So it's like, that was, I was, I did not get over her. We were together for like five months and it took me over a year to get over that. It was like, so it was like my world was over. And I was like, why am I acting like this? Like I'm an adult. Um, and that <laughs> it is, is a, like that's a shared experience, I think, around especially. I think so too. I think like especially I know with like other like a lot of the like bi or bi adjacent women that I have met over the years, it's been really uh like because there is such a common like not coming out until you're almost 30 right. because you just kinda were dating guys and you were like I would like to date a woman, but I don't know if that's just – it's not going to exactly, happen, so yeah. I'm just going to keep doing yeah. this. And, yeah. Um, but, no, I like <laughs> I like that as an answer to the sort of, like, I don't know, like, self-discovery of, like, figuring out that there's stuff going on in your head that you, like, either weren't aware of or that you weren't paying attention to. Because I, I really like how Enid sort of, like – comes to understand like throughout the book like what is going on with her in general because I think that's also a pretty um common experience for people like there are a lot of people who have problems with anxiety and depression and other types of mental illness or just like general neurodivergence who like don't ever get a diagnosis or don't ever go to a therapist or anything until like they're in you know their late 20s or their 30s because they're like, well, it's it wasn't that bad. Exactly. It wasn't bad enough for me to be like, you know, institutionalized or right. something. So therefore, I did not get any help at all. But it's fine. And I don't need it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of like, mental illness. Um, <laughs> Good segue there. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I could say that after or before anything that I ever say <laughs> because I am always speaking of mental illness. Uh, so in the, this book, there's a recurring image of like a parasite or a bug that Enid thinks – doesn't like literally think but feels like lives inside her and forces her to say mean things. Um, and – I I love that image and I have had, you know, the exact same experience, but I would never be able to articulate it in such a funny and insightful way. Um, And I wanted to ask how you approach writing about mental illness in a way that doesn't seem trite or, you know, repetitive. Um, I don't, I I guess I'm, I obviously have some experience with, with, mental illness right and I think uh, I think one thing that I do I do try to be mindful of when writing about mental illness is that it's not just um, miserable like I think it is Mm -hmm. like there is like terrible and I do want to write about that and that is what I'm trying like I am trying to write about how sometimes having anxiety or being a depressed person can be like just the pit of horror but I also think sometimes it's funny And it's not just, you know, it's not just like, oh, you're depressed. Like, there have been times when I have been really profoundly depressed. And I can still find, you know, you can still sort of feel some humor about it. Or, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. But there's, it's not all misery. Yeah. It might be, like, for example, um, 
you might feel so apathetic, for example, that you sort of depersonalize and look down on yourself and you're like, well, I haven't showered in, in so long. And it doesn't sound funny to speak of it now, but in your own head, you're like, that's funny. Look at me. Look at me. I'm just this little rat in my apartment. Like, what is wrong with me? Um, and I think... I know. Yeah. Like having some awareness, some reflection of that, I think just writing about it more authentically and being and considering the whole experience and not just the, you know, when you feel like something is terribly wrong with you, sometimes you can be like, oh my god, I'm a terrible person. I feel like something is so wrong with me. And other times you can be like, I have a bug in me. Like something, I've got yeah. something wrong. Like this is not, this is weird. Not just. Yeah, like, no. And it is like your your books are so funny in such a weird way like and I mean that in a good way (laughs) obviously uh but yeah like I feel like I more experience like the humor of that of like my own experiences when I'm not in the moment of feeling it I have like okay so I have like a couple more questions but they're so drastically different from each other that there's like not a good way to segue I think just go into it then I think we can all Okay, so here, the f- okay, I'm going to ask <laughs> – this was, like, the second question I was supposed to ask, and I skipped it. Um, this book obviously contains many interesting facts about space. Right. Um, <laughs> what drew you to this subject as a focal point? Like, are you very, like, into science and nerdy about space? That's a good question. I – I uh, was trying to show Enid as being someone who hyperfixates on certain subjects and who has like a special interest. And I wouldn't say that I have a special interest in space personally, but I do have experience being hyperfixated on certain subjects. And I was yes. able to pick space as something that I'm interested in enough that I could lean into that. So I'm sort of drawing from my experience of, of having my own hyperfixations on certain things. Uh, which are not space. Like I'm hyper fixated on things like fundamentalist Christianity, <laughs> uh, the Bible, and that that sort of thing. It's not exactly. It's very actually different from space and science. But um, <laughs> but I can imagine being hyper fixated in space, and I was able to lean into that interest. And space is obviously so cool and interesting. Um, yeah, that I was able to pick that as a subject that I could lean into. What kind of like research did you do? Yeah, so so this is actually a bit of a, a writer's trick, which is uh, if you ever have a writer's block, it's nice to think of something that your book is about, like a subject or some topic or some theme or something going on that when you're sort of stuck, you can spend time just reading about space, for example. So um, I spent a lot of time reading about space. I The problem with this book is that... I, the way that space is brought up is is Enid telling sort of fun facts to her mom. And a lot of facts about space are way more complicated than and and I don't want right. like I didn't I didn't think I should write. <laughs> there were there's a few drafts where I'm like, ooh yeah, like I can't go into the detail about gravity and things that people aren't gonna want to read about. But I was inter- I got interested enough. Uh and I my uh I'm I'm a librarian, so I love to, you know go through library catalogs and and look at, uh, you know, research. So I had a lot of fun researching space. That's really cool. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking about how during our um, 
like initial or like one of the one of the rounds of covers that we did before we even showed you anything was like I had a lot more like space imagery. Oh, cool. Um yeah. and <laughs> so one person in the meeting, I will I will not name any names, <laughs> but this this person was like well, I just don't think we should put any space on the cover at all because nobody wants to read about space. <laughs> oh no, we need to change the title. And I was like, but that's the... Wait a but, uh, but I think what, what this person meant was like, you know, we need to focus on the human element of this story Fair, and yeah. not... And you know, the concern that someone... Something I'm like concerned about a little is that people yeah. will think they're getting a book that's like nonfiction about space so the cover <laughs> not being space i think helps mitigate that risk yes hopefully yeah. i don't know to me like that kind of stuff is always interesting and like indicative like i like to find little images and i'm always anytime i read a manuscript before i design i go through like as I'm reading, I highlight stuff that, like, sticks out to cool. me as, like, that could be, like, a cool image. Let me remember that. And, like, then later I go back, like, there's one um, there's one cover, which I'll have to send you so that you can see it. But it's, like, um, I did I did an illustration of the sweater that has the um, solar system on it that oh, she cool. wears that her wow. mom made. Um, and I, like, had a lot of fun with that. And then they were, like, no. And I was, like, okay. Oh. <laughs> But um, I'd love yeah, that was that. like yeah, one of my favorite like images throughout. And that's like another great thing about designing for you is that there are so many different themes that are like paired with a visual representation. So you have like so much imagery to explore where sometimes I, I read a manuscript and I'm like, I can't think I can't find a single thing that is like a an image, like a visual oh, yeah. that I can put on here so you know there there's always like different animals and and bugs and space and you know bald men and all kinds of stuff and i'm glad the cover didn't turn out to be a bald man though <laughs> yeah that uh, i could have like put it um just like the back of a bald man's head and then like have it written uh, it on occurred to me that that could potentially be i was like maybe i should change what she's afraid of to make sure i don't actually accidentally get a bald man book <laughs> Are you, like, worried about upsetting any bald people? You know, I wish I had been more. I wish I had, because I, <laughs> I wasn't, because I, I didn't, I don't know, I don't know why it didn't occur to me. I picked that because I thought it sounded funny, and then I've since found myself in rooms where there are bald men, where I have to be like, my book's about, <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that as, like, you are, like, presenting it or something, and there's, like, a bald man there who might not know yeah. that. I do, yeah. for any bald man listening, I don't think bald men are represented poorly in this book. And I do remember specifically a section that's, like, some bald men are very handsome and nice. And so I try yeah. to – it's not it's not a bald man hating book. This She just has a fear of bald men. She's afraid yeah. um, for a reason. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so my last, my last question, which is kind of, um, me wanting to talk about your first book a little bit, um, because I've told you this, and I've told many people this, but the way that Gilda's anxiety manifests very closely mirrors my own, and so when I first read the manuscript, I, like, 
I cried, which like I've never cried while reading a book for work because I'm always like, this is for work. And I'm not like really, it's rare that I'm like sitting and reading something and I get like emotional about it when I'm working. Um, But I did because I'd never read anything that was so close to my own experience. And I don't think like that that makes me unique. I just think that that makes your book really like resonant. Is that the word? Because I know like I've seen you know, someone get a tattoo with the bunny. And like a lot of people, I think, really felt a strong connection um, to the book. But um, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit more about Gilda's fixation with death and what drove you to explore that. Because like when I was a kid, like that was really what, you know, offset my first like depressive episode was me being obsessed and scared about death and being unable to stop thinking about it so talk about that (laughs) thanks so much for it means a lot to me that you uh you know relate to the book i think that's that's and, and it's so cool that you were able to design the cover that's really special i think it's neat that there's like a connection there um i do too that's cool um i think why why death i mean I think a lot of anxiety is maybe rooted in death, and it probably, like, I remember being a kid, I was raised Catholic, and that's also sort of related to that book, and I remember it sort of dawning on me that I was like, ooh, wait a minute, what if this isn't, what if God doesn't exist, and what if we die and there's nothing, and being like, oh, no, like, that's such a dark, horrible thought. Um, and I think a lot of kids have that. I think that's something that occurs to a lot of kids. And I think if you're um, an anxious person and you're someone who has sort of intrusive thoughts and it comes up again, it's it's it makes sense for that to be the one that really sticks because it's mm-hmm. one of the one of the most profound ones. I think I, I someone close to me. I'm gonna hesi- I'm gonna try to avoid saying any identifying. <laughs> someone very close to me had problems like that as well. So it wasn't me, but there was someone uh, who I grew up with, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, but uh, who, like, um, would just perpetually be afraid that everyone was going to die every time they left the house and, and, you know, was very concerned about that. I think a lot of anxiety is rooted in in death. I think it's not always that. There's obviously other things, but I think for a lot of people, the root of it is this, is this, like really deep realization of being sort of a fragile person and not just you, but everyone around you being a fragile person and, and, and realizing like there's this huge sort of elephant in the room that we're not addressing often enough, which is that we're all going to die every time we talk to somebody. It could be the last time we talk to them. It's strange for us to ever have an argument with someone. They're going to die one day. (laughs) Everyone around us is so, you know, there's this, just this, um, it's sort of like we operate in like a diluted way to get by without really facing that. Like it, with, with that sort of fear, it's interesting because a lot of, um, a lot of fear, like in, in my new book, I was writing a lot about fear, like fear of bald men, for example. And um, a lot of fear is, is ridiculous. Like that one is sort of ridiculous, right? Like obviously people have reasons for their phobias and, it's not, you know, not to undermine it, but it's ridiculous to be afraid of bald men. 
Um, it's actually not ridiculous <laughs> to be afraid of dying. I think that's a pretty legitimate thing to be afraid of and, and to be concerned about. And that maybe we should think about more. Not like uh, Gilda obviously does it in an unproductive way. But something I was trying to do with that book, especially near the end, is the idea that... Um, like you, we are gonna die, and it's and it's fucked up that we exist, and it we should sort of be happy to exist, sort of. Yeah, yeah. sort yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really does depend there. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I think that's really true, and especially yeah, I think like having the the fixation and anxiety around it, like it only it becomes ridiculous in like the things that that make you think about it or like the the way that you are unable to let go of it in random moments or like that kind of thing but it is like very i mean everyone i think is a little bit afraid of death yeah. at least um and i think anxiety is so much at least my anxiety i have a lot of like anticipatory anxiety and a lot of like existential anxiety and just like Anxiety is so rooted in thing like the unknown, right? right and exactly. like, like trying to predict and like, especially like I have OCD and OCD specifically like does not want you to be able to live in a space of un unknowing right. or uncertainty. Like it becomes impossible to live in that space. Yeah. And so your brain is, like, doing backflips trying to, like, make sense of something because if you don't know the answer, it's like, well, that's not – you can't not know. So we have to figure it out. Um, <laughs> and you can't figure this out. Like, that's one thing that you really – like, we will never, ever know. Exactly. And, like, I think that is so horrifying. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I when I was a kid, I would, like – I remember laying in bed at night and, like, trying to imagine – trying to, like, imagine what it would feel like to be nothing. Yeah, I did the same thing, yeah. <laughs> right? And then you're, like – you can't even conceptualize it because you're, like, well, I won't feel nothing because I won't feel because I'll be nothing. Exactly. But what does that feel exactly. like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was my last real uh, – relevant question for you. If you have anything you wanted to ask me, go ahead. <laughs> Um, okay, here's one. When designing several versions of a cover, um, so like, for example, when you have like a different cover for a paperback, um, yeah. are you being, are you like asked to unify them visually or is it, is that a consideration at all that they have a relationship with each other or no? Um, it really depends on the book. I think that like, I tend to want to unify them. So Mo when I think about like all of the covers that I've done, a hardcover and an and then done the paperback conversion, I think most of them do sort of have something that kind of ties them together. Um, but I that's not something that they necessarily ask for. Okay. Um, but I I'm kind of of the mind like I want it to look nice when the when the hardcover and the paperback are next to each right, other. Yeah, right. That's a good thing. To and. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, so I like to draw in, like, either an image or a color. It really depends. And, like, because sometimes it's like, oh, well, the book really didn't sell at all, so we want to completely change right. it. And other times right. it's like, you know, we're hoping we can reach a different audience with this. So you can still use the same kind of, like, imagery, but you want to present it in a different way to appeal to a different type of reader. Which is interesting, too, because it's, like, it's hard to really actually – 
say what appeals to a certain type of reader because every person is different. And like, just because you like reading a certain book doesn't mean that you're drawn to a certain type of cover. You know what I mean? And I think there's this kind of frustrating idea in, in design in general that like, if, if one book is similar to another book that already came out, and that we think people who read that book will also uh, like this book. Right. It should look like that. Right. And it's like, that's not how I look for books. I don't see a book and think this book looks visually like this right. other book that I read. And so the book itself will also be good. Like, I just, I don't know if people automatically do that in their brains or not, but I'm I'm constantly questioning whether that's a valid yeah. um, concern. I don't I haven't seen the research right. so I was just gonna ask is, is there anything like that that goes into it I don't know if that's too like uh do they is there any um like data that goes beyond things like oh certain audiences like this like I would imagine that something like that is happening like perhaps in the sales department right. like some kind of analytics are occurring but I have never been shown them it's more just like a thing where in meeting someone will say like well this looks like that book and that book didn't sell so we can't oh, interesting. this looks too similar to like it's weird because they're like oh well that didn't this type of imagery didn't appeal so we can't use that or like the idea like you know oh green books don't sell or like certain colors that like certain people think are not appealing and no one's going to pick that up because it's this color. And a lot of it is really, you know, subjective opinion of the people making decisions as well (laughs) and then trying to justify them. Um, (laughs) I have, I uh, have a day job and I'm in similar situations where, just someone who maybe has like a strong opinion about something is really adamant about something. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. really, but interesting. But they state it like it's a fact. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's one way to, to get people to align though, I guess. Um, okay. This one is sort of related to that, I guess. The, the This is a general question, but why does there seem to be a formula for covers that make a lot of novels look alike. I think that you just sort of answered that, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. It is very much like we are. We are definitely, especially you know, working for when you're working with commercial fiction, um, and like you know, SNS overall is pretty commercial, and then Atria and Gallery, which are the two imprints that I work for, are primarily commercial. Atria puts out some more literary fiction, and I would say that your writing is like literary. Um, or like, you know, kind of in that in-between space of where they're like, we want book clubs to read this, but also we want it to win awards, like okay. that type of in-between space where there are certain publishers like like FSG, for example, where they're just not concerned about like following trends because they're not concerned about, you know, being um, like wild, widely sold, I right. guess. Like they're more concerned about Oh, the award part of right. it. And oh, like, yeah. so they get to do, they get to just experiment more. And like when you're, when you're in commercial fiction, it's very much like it's trends. And so stuff that's trending is kind of like in a meeting, someone will show, you know, if they're showing us, if they're presenting a, a book and like we're learning about the books that are being presented and we haven't started on the covers yet, they'll show us like usually like four to five covers of books that are already out that are similar to the book and that also have the look 
that we're going for. Interesting. And like, like one of the comp titles for your book was like, for your first book was um, Mostly Dead Things by Kristen right, Arnett, right, yeah. which like makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was like quirky, like colorful, you know, a little bit odd, like right. that kind yeah, of that makes sense. thing. Um, and so I think that's kind of how that happens. And it's always a bummer, like to be designing and to feel kind of constrained by this this notion that like I'm gonna show stuff and it's gonna be like, well, can it look more like A, B, or C, right. or you know? And it happens often, and it is like something that we talk about a lot. Um, like we have a little chat of just the designers where we're always just like complaining and whatever. Enough, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it's the why is like money essentially. Right, yeah. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the world where that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have uh at my day so my day job is sort of uh like IT adjacent and sometimes we have designers for way less interesting things, but like yeah. websites come in. And I've known from those uh designers that they do things like not show I don't really know where I'm going with this question, but they don't show options that they know the audience will accept because they don't like them. Do you ever do that? Do you ever come up with something that you're like, I think they'd pick this and I hate it, so I don't want to do it? Sometimes, but other times I will put it in anyway because I want more, like, there are, like, certain, certain, like, editors or certain publishers want to see more options, and so I'm so desperate at that point that I'm, like, I'm just gonna, like, throw in everything I've made And, like, if I made something, I'm going to put it in. And, you know, it is often – I do have the experience of showing something I don't like and having them pick it and then being like, why did I – why did I do this? Um, Or, you know, you'll end up – you'll – they'll choose something and they'll say, this one, but can you just make these, like, 17 changes and it looks completely, (laughs) like, a totally different thing? Um, So, yeah. I – but normally I pretty much don't. I don't ever not put something unless I f- genuinely think it's bad, and then I don't put it because I'm like, they're not going to pick this anyway because it's bad. Just show a bad one. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what other questions do I, I – there was someone who asked, um, like, on – this is very specific to my books, but on my books, there's, like, a font. Is that yes. somebody's handwriting or is that – That is my handwriting. Hey, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. That's cool. So um, the, the first one I did with um, – I have this like I have like India ink in a little bottle and like a paintbrush that I use with it. Okay. Um and I think I did I think I like watercolor on watercolor paper did that's that so like cool. script for the hardcover. Oh, awesome. And then the paperback is also my handwriting, but it's really funny because that like specific style is like the style of like writing that I used on like all of my like projects in college it was like my thing and I've never used it on a book before and because it it just feels so specific and I never have had a reason to use it but like I used it for that and they liked it which was so funny to me because I it felt so in line with the fact that that book is so like it feels so close to me. And so when I did this thing that has always been this really specific thing that I did and they liked it, I was like, oh my God, perfect. So, That's so cool. I'm so glad that yeah. someone asked that. That's such a cool thing to know. <laughs> I love that. People often ask me about, um, but I think you sort of answered this already too, like why the rabbit on the cover? And I remember when, um, like when, when 
I'm forgetting that we're on a podcast. When your editor... <laughs> no, it's fine. When, when your editor emails you, sometimes they yeah. give you like a little bit of... They, they don't give you very much... Like they give you a little bit of information to say, we went with this because X, Y, Z, right. that kind of thing. And I remember them saying for everyone in this room something about rabbits and anxiety and, and that sort of thing. Does, do, do you go into... Is that something that happens to you internally or is that something you talk about largely? Like what is the meaning of the cover or is there like in yeah terms of symbolism in the art of it I guess yeah so it's funny because we don't often we don't always talk about it during the meeting like usually I show stuff and then often like if I talk about something it's because I'm trying to defend it because someone is like why did why is that there right. and then I'm like well I what it meant to me was this right. but um for that one I think it was kind of like I I used the bunnies thinking about anxiety and I think like everybody kind of picked up on that and that's kind of like the most successful thing you can hope for is that like the thing that you internally are thinking about when you're designing something is evident enough that you don't have to right. explain it right and but it can still have like a little bit of like personal meaning cuz for me specifically cuz I I think like rabbits are are you know these sort of anxious creatures generally and that can kind of show anxiety for me especially on the hardcover with the rabbits like kind of doing this repetitive loop in rows kind of was like me trying to visualize the way that my thoughts work and the way that my thoughts work when I'm experiencing like intrusive thoughts or looping thoughts it's kind of like this it's like this crazy feeling in my brain of like, I can't stop it. And it's just repeating. Interesting. So yeah. it's, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's interesting. Ruminating, I guess, right? It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my therapist would yeah. say. <laughs> they always saying stuff, aren't they? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I don't know if I don't, I, th- I can, I think there were other questions, but I'll spare you. I won't go on. Oh. Well, if you have any other questions, you can always um, DM me. Well, well, sometimes, the, <laughs> but, sometimes I get asked questions and I don't know. So maybe I'll do that from now on. I'll be like. Yes, oh, you, can, you always can. <laughs> um, so uh, are you allowed to say anything about what book you're working on right now? Uh, I don't know if I am. They, I, I think I'm. Well, obviously, I am working on something. I haven't. Yes. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I was told not to post it on the internet. So I guess I'm not. Well, yeah, then we don't we don't have to. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> the last question that we always ask any guests we have is for you to tell us about your pets. And I know that you have a beautiful little cat. I do. So I have a, I have a almost nine year old cat named Lou. She's a, a Siamese cat. And uh, what do I want to say about her? She, a funny quality she has is she likes to get revenge. So, <laughs> so does Penelope. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if you bug Lou, like you, you hold her when she's asked you not to, for example, when you put her down, she'll like run up and she does the exact you. same oh, thing. Love oh that. my God. Or she'll <laughs> yeah. like bite my leg exactly. if I, <laughs> yeah. and you can see she's plotting it. Like she'll, you'll put her down, for example, and, she, and you're like, oh, maybe she's not gonna. And then you walk by five minutes later and she's, she's still had it on. <laughs> It's also so funny because it's like you, I always hear that cats don't respond to negative reinforcement, yes. but I'm like, then why are they 
putting negative why reinforcement on yeah. like, <laughs> if you don't that understand that concept point. then yeah. why are you doing this <laughs> no. which leads me to believe that they do understand it and yeah, they just it maybe just doesn't work yeah yeah makes them more they refuse to respond to it yeah. um well thank you so much for doing this um where is your favorite place to be found on the internet oh where's my i guess like instagram um cool. And I'm often mistaken for another Emily Austin. Oh, no. Who is an awful person to be mistaken for. <gasps> uh, she's like a right-wing oh, no. sports journalist. And I'm always getting messages that are for her. And the, the difference, like, sometimes the messages are like, you're a bad person. And I'm like, valid, yeah, they're talking about it. <laughs> but sometimes it's like men being like, can you can you set... Because she's, she's like a beauty queen, I think, was like uh. in social... I'll get messages that are like, can you send me an autographed photo of you? And I totally agree with your horrible opinions about transgender people. And and I'm like, every time I get them, I'm like, what? So Can you send me your dirty socks? Yeah. Is probably I want to be like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I want to tell them like, let's meet somewhere and it'd be like, you know, <laughs> dump or something. But, yes. Yeah. Uh, but wow. Anyway, so be careful. That's not the one you find because that's a repeated problem. I'm really... Struggling. Does she look anything like you? Not at all, but she has blonde hair, so oh, okay. I guess that's it. But yeah. We're white people with blonde hair, so I can kinda see, but um not at all. <laughs> well, when you when someone searches your name, they will see books on your feed yes. and hopefully that will help. And no <laughs> hopefully no transphobia or anything else like that. Yeah, or she's, horrible yeah, right wing really opinions. Or sports. Or sports. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It was honestly, I was already getting her emails before she was, before I realized that she had terrible opinions outside of sports. And I was already like, ugh, I don't want to hear about sports. (laughs) It's over. That was the interview. Um, Please go and (laughs) you still have time to pre order the book, which is great. Uh, for authors so go ahead and pre-order interesting facts about space in the next like mm-hmm. couple of days before it comes out on the 30th but and if not go to the bookstore and buy it i will be done reading it so i'm sorry uh, yeah it. yeah because then you can listen to the interview then i can listen to the interview and be like ah, oh, yes the book i read yeah. <laughs> i mean we don't spoil anything in the interview but yeah yeah it'll be more meaningful to you yeah i'm excited um we have some listener feedback who wants to read this wow alice really wrote us a a long one. I love it. I can read it. Hi, guys. I'm so excited about this book that I'm writing this feedback the moment I finish listening to the episode. Ever since Emily got me to read Last House on Needless Street, so Emily gets everyone to read that book, uh, yeah, I've been a huge Catron Award fan. <laughs> and this book didn't disappoint me. I will say I did feel confused by the end, but I felt like the pieces were there for me to figure out what happened. I definitely enjoyed listening to you all break down the books within the book. I wanted to add something to the clues you found. Throughout the book, there are word games that appear in the chapters titled brackets. You all broke down the final message that was decoded. The last word of each sequence spells out a message. You are here too. However, because I am curious slash a nerd, I went back through the whole book to each of these sections to decode. I was reading the ebook, so this is pretty easy. I present to you the secret messages. Number one, what, where am I? Number two, help. Number three, don't trust her, don't trust him. 
Number four, this is interesting as it's titled like those other word game chapters, but instead described as a first person, instead described a first person narrator and Grace casting a spell on ink slash using it to draw in a book or manuscript. It's unclear who the narrator is, Pearl or Harper. Number five, you are here too. Spooky. I just thought this really tied the book together for me. Uh, The placement of these chapters is also really interesting and changed the context of some of the sections that followed. I gave this book four out of five stars because I was confused but still greatly enjoyed the ride. Finally, I wanted to add that Emily, I am also bothered by her British spelling and phrases to the point that while reading this book, I had to use Google at one point and confirm that this book takes place in the U.S. Knowing Catriona went to school at Oxford clarifies things, but I also wish some editor would figure this out about her books. Girl from Raw Blood does take place in England, so her writing makes more sense in that one. And I also only own Little Eve, all her other books I read through library loans, and it's the only one I haven't read. Next book club pick, JK, JK. Thanks for my, <laughs> reading my long feedback. Haha, ha, love you guys, Ellis. <laughs> Yay, thank you for writing, Ellis. That was a great yeah, feedback. I, I do really want to read Little Eve. I yeah. maybe, maybe that needs to be added to my TBR this year because... She has not missed yet. Not for me. Yeah. So. Woo. What's on the blog? So many things. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the, uh, the Christmas movie is finally wrapping up. I just really lost some momentum there at the end. I got very tired of watching Christmas movies, That's but, fair. um, so I just, wrote one about the holdovers, which will be the 11th Christmas movie I wrote about. Um, mm-hmm. and TBD on number 12, but I think it should be out by now or, mm-hmm. or soon-ish from now. So, yeah. But go and check I, out The Holdovers. I wrote about <laughs> Caroline Calloway's Scammer. Yes. Oh my god. I finally got it after three years, and I read it, and I said what I think about it. The description of the craft of the book was so funny. (laughs) The way that the end papers are like glued to get like someone like handmade. Yeah, no, she fully made these like in her condo. I'm I'm sure there's like hair, cat hair, like glued into the. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Um, I also have written by now. A blog post about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Receipts. Receipts. <laughs> Receipts. Text. What? It's like a whole line yeah. of things. I can't remember, but Ange was showing me TikToks where they put it to the cell block tango. Yes. Um. <laughs> yes. Receipts. Timelines. Something else. Mm-hmm. Who is? What was her name? It's like Rumor Von Teese. Oh, Dita. Uh, Dita Reality Dita Von Teese is a person. Reality Von Teese. Reality Von Teese. That's what it is. Great. You guys are doing so good with the blog. I'm so impressed. Thanks. I will say I Sundance is currently going on, and so um, I will be doing a little recap of all the Sundance movies that I watched this year, but that is happening as you are listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. It is happening right now. So something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. Yay. What else can you look forward to? Why our next other sode? Um, we will be 
talking about Mean Girls, the Woo-hoo. musical, the movie. Not your mom's Mean Girls. Not your mom's Mean Girls. Mean Girls, based on what's that book called? Oh, How yeah. to talk queen, to your do- queen, queen bees, bees and wannabes. And wannabes. Oh, I've read based that. Based on a book, so <laughs> yeah. I've read it. Yeah, right. Well, Here we the, go. You can be our expert. <laughs> I think I used it in my dissertation. There you go. That's great. Oh my gosh, we should just read your dissertation. (laughs) Great. And then and then for our next book episode, which is great. Coming on February 20th, we will be talking about Rouge by Mona Awad, which is a book I am very excited to talk about. I have not read it yet, but having read two books by this author already, I feel like it's going to be really weird. Just throwing that out there. You're in for a weird one, I think. And joining us for this episode is Mary Kay McBrayer. Yay. It's It's been been so long since we've had her on. It's been a while since we've had her on, but she's great. She um, has a new podcast, too, that I'm sure that she'll want to tell us about. Oh, nice. Yeah, excited to have her on. Yay. You can... Write to us your thoughts, feelings, and opinions on Biography of X or anything else. Uh, our email address is the squad at booksquadgoals.com. That is also where you can find our blog, booksquadgoals.com slash blog, with all of the wonderful posts that Emily and Mary have been working so hard on. Um, you can follow us on social media. We are at Booksquadgoals on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, Blue Sky. I haven't opened that app in probably two months. Um, <laughs> Rutro. Rutro. And yeah, we also would love it if you would follow us and subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you use. And please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, I We don't have that much time today, so I'm not going to check to see if we have any new feedback. So you got out You're of it this time, this week. you guys. This time. But next time, I'm going to come back twice as hard. So mm-hmm. prepare. Uh, or you could just leave us a rating and review, and then I will be so happy. I'll probably cry. Um, I meant to mention this at the beginning of the episode, but for some reason I'm incapable of doing so. We have a Patreon. Um, I need to remember to do that because sometimes people don't listen to this part, and I wouldn't blame them. Um, but thank you to our patrons who give us $3 a month and get pet pics in return. And yes, I do know that I owe a pet pics post. It is on my calendar, and... I am going to do it. I'm going to do it before the month is over. So it's coming. Don't you worry. Uh, Thank you to our patrons, Todd, Kathleen, Justin, Susan, Alex, Bonnie, Janet, and most importantly, me, Kelly. (laughs) We did it. We talked about a book that we didn't like. (laughs) 